let's start in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to, the, to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. <laughs> Loretta says she made it 39 years by, me, by being submissive. I love that. I just want to go back and read Sheba's comment that society, they just encourage that constantly to abandon and find better. Yeah, it's true. If you're, you don't, you know, there's always something better out there instead of working, you know, instead of working on a marriage and working to make it better, working to improve it, working on yourself first, you're always finding fault in the other person. You know, they they don't do this right. They don't do that right. Um, and so instead of putting a, an effort in and putting a work in, you just cut ties and find someone else. And then you wonder why people, uh, you know, are married several times, you know, you, you get divorced once and often... It ends up being two, three, sometimes four, because what plagued them in the first marriage chases them into the, the rest of them, unless there's a change, which a lot of times, um, if a person gets saved, then obviously that's the biggest change and most important change. Now, I read that portion of scripture and you know what, a lot of times men love to, <laughs> they love to read this scripture. It's like their favorite verse of the Bible. Wives submit to your husbands in everything. Um, exactly, Mary Ellen. It takes two, and, and that's the thing, you know, everybody, you know, you want the perfect spouse, but you know, you have to, you have to put the work in both of you, give and take, um, have to do it. And that's why Paul is very clear. He gives directions to the wife and he gives directions to the husband. It's not just to the wife and it's not just to the husband. It's to both because there's a, a symmetry that has to happen between the two spouses to make the marriage work according to the word of God. Um, okay, so the submission, therefore, um, let's let's address it because it's it's a big topic. I'm gonna. <laughs> well, Mary Ellen, it's, I, I <laughs> we love you, Mary Ellen. Um, so, in terms of Jewish marriage, because obviously. Um, the, the Bible has a, a lot of Jewish culture in it. 
Um, there was no question of authority. The man was in charge. The husband was in charge. Um, it was clear that the husband was the final authority in the home to be being the one to whom the wife and children obeyed and whom the husband obeyed, sorry, whom the children obeyed when the parents differed. So in other words, there was no like, you don't like what dad says, so you go to mom and hope for a different opinion. The children would defer to the, uh, to the father uh, if there happened to be a, a dispute. Um, the subordinate role of women within patriarchal and Israelite society have relegated them to a position of inferiority. But one thing that you have to realize, and this is probably not spoken about enough, is that that was not God's intention. <laughs> I understand, Loretta. That was not God's intention. He did not intend for women to be um, inferior. He did not intend for women to, to be a subordinate, like lesser than in terms of value. Because we understand that, that man was created first and woman was created from man. And so therefore there is an order, but they are equal in value. So you have to make sure that's clear because what ended up happening within Jewish society and a lot of tradition came in and it kind of went away from what God's intention was to now this like hierarchy that it's like the men just lord over the women and the women have no say, they have no voice, they have no, you know, they're just, they're basically like, you know, you make babies and you please your husband and you, and you obey him blindly. And it, it you know, and that was not um, God's intention. So God did not intend women to be as oppressed as they were. Because a lot of times, well, you know, the, the Bible is a sexist book and it's a, a um, you know, whatever, um, whatever people say about it. But it's not God who intended that. It's tradition that comes down through the years. And in fact, it was rabbis that, that they formed a lot of these traditions and it led to a lot of ignorance. And the people weren't aware of what God's uh, intention was for, you know, for, for men and women. And they just went with what, um, with what the rabbis said. You know, and um, Sheba points out how in, in Jewish, Jewish uh, Orthodox communities, um, you know, women are still under the feet of men. Yeah, because there was a tradition that went very far away um, from what God intended. So women were spoken of in a depreciating manner and her only value was found in her service in the home. Okay. Um, because traditions were often based on fear of sin. So you didn't want to like, you know, you kind of like kept men and women like a bit of a separate because you didn't want to have people lust or fall into sin or, you know, there were so many rules about like cleanliness and purity. And it was just like the rabbis, I think, you know, obviously their intention was probably to like bring a, a sense of purity in, but what it ended up leading to was, was causing women to be seen as lesser than men. But in early life in the Bible, women were much more on equal footing to men in private and public life. Okay. Um, and so what ends up happening then is as Judaism progressed through the years, women were excluded from worship. They were, con they were considered unfit to learn and to teach. Like, you know, there's a lot of, the, 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 you know, in some, in some Jewish churches now, I, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think either the women can't go in at all. Uh, to worship or they have to sit in a separate section that's not how god intended it to be at all 
So you have to, you have to, that has to be clear because if you're under the impression that this is God who decided that women, you know, were, were inferior and they weren't, uh, uh, they weren't allowed to worship and, and however you want to put it, um, then you're going to have a wrong view of how God sets the order of marriage. Okay. So we're going to get to that. But it, you know, that women not being allowed to worship, that was in contrast to Old Testament practice. So you have to understand the Bible was written by people who were in that culture. And so if you feel like it seems to, to lean against women in a sense, you have to understand why. Not because God wanted it to be that way, but because, you know, this was the culture they were in. And, you know, if women, you know, anyways, it's, it's, it's kind of, it could be a, a bit of a complicated subject. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to stick to the situation at hand. So, um, Jesus and his apostles, when they came in, especially when Jesus came in, they broke with the current form of Judaism that was now in place. Because you have to remember something, the Old Testament ended and there was 400 years where nothing in the Bible is written and then boom, Jesus is born. Okay, or you, you understand? So uh, those 400 years, if you wanna know what happened in those 400 years, I highly recommend that you sign up for GNU. I teach a class uh, about the New Testament and I talk a lot about that period of time in between the two testaments. Um, so you have to realize that's a lot of time and a lot of stuff happened where the prophets didn't speak. God wasn't speaking to anybody during that time. And so you have a lot of things because you probably, you know, you think to yourself, you know, the Pharisees, where did they come from? Why were they there? Because you have to understand that a lot happened. So when Jesus came, he had to break the form of Judaism that currently existed because it was not what God intended it to be. And he established new roles for women um, that were much closer to, to, to the original Old Testament practices before, you know, these Jewish rabbis came in and changed things around. Um, yeah, Auntie Joe mentions that in Italy, churches had to sit on one side and men on the other. I think some churches still do that um, because it's just a misunderstanding of God's intention for men and women. There are differences in our roles. There are differences in what we do. There are differences uh, um, in who we are. Our instincts are different. Um, you know, our tendencies are different. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, what happened is because uh, uh, something had been set up to kind of keep men and women separate in a sense. The, yeah, Jill says they still have that custom. Yeah, it, it, it's just not right. There's no, there's no biblical precedent for that. Um, so Jesus as well, he, he renewed certain creational relations that were put in place by God himself in, in the Garden of Eden. You know, you have to think about the Garden of Eden. Men and women were charged to, 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 to subdue the earth. Okay, God never said, okay, well, Eve, you stay on this side of the garden when you worship me, and Adam, you stay on this side of the garden when you worship. You know, um, okay, so, so Sheba mentions that, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. If you're sitting next to yourself, it's just your spouse is distracting. So, again, that's ex Sheba, you nailed it. That's exactly what I'm trying to explain. That um, all they're so afraid of accidentally sinning. They're so afraid of accidentally being in lust or accidentally being unclean that it's like this was their solution to basically keep men and women apart. And, and 
Um, and what it unfortunately um, resulted in was women now being seen as, because there was always this sense of headship and authority, the natural progression was, well, now women are lesser than. Where that was not the intention. In terms of authority, well, I'm going to explain it. In terms of value, in terms of having the right to learn, having the right uh, to teach, having the right to worship, there, there's no, you're equal. And that Jesus came to, to bring that back together. So Jesus' respect for women was in stark contrast to the previous rabbis. Remember, they always used to call Jesus rabbi, right? Um, and, and they used, you know, these rabbis used to pray and thank God that they weren't created women. That, that's how bad it was that, that women were just seen as barely human, barely functioning human, that, that people, men would actually pray in thanking God that they weren't given the curse of being born a woman. And so if that's what is being taught, I mean, could you imagine what it must have been like to be a woman in that time? So I don't, you know, when a lot of times when you see women, um, yeah, can't be, they were very, they're very I, I appre listen, I appreciate the reverence for the house of God. I think there could be a little bit more reverence for the house of God, but, um, well, Sheba, I'm going to get to that. Don't worry. Trust me. Because And Paul, this is why Paul talked about it. And there's three different scriptures. Peter mentions it. And Paul mentions it twice. This subject of submission. Because the women, in a sense, you know, like I, like I talked about last week. That the women, the women were, were basically liberated. They're basically like, hey, we're, we're equal in value now under Christ. But the, 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 the order did not change. Okay? So, so that's why, no, trust me, I'm, I'm going to get to it. Um... So Jesus came and he measured people by their faith. It wasn't about their gender. So men were always seen as kind of a, a guarantee. As long as the men obeyed the law, they were good to go. But, but Jesus measured people by their faith and he took women seriously, often going out of his way to, to break the societal rules that existed. Societal rules that should have never been there in the first place. Okay? Um, so Judaism caused... A divide between men and women, especially during those 400 years when nothing was going on. And, you know, the, like I said, God wasn't speaking to the prophets. So there was no real direction and tradition creeped in. And like I said, 400 years is a long time, a long time for things to, to just become what they became. Um, and, 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 you know, tradition, you know how easy it is to fall into the trap of tradition, uh, to fall into the trap of, 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 you know, routine and just like, you know, you were taught this, so you figured that that's what it is. And, you know, so Jesus taught with authority and he grounded his teaching on his understanding of the Old Testament. Jesus and the apostles considered that women should be included among the people of God, which set the church apart from the Jewish community. So one thing that that was very different from the early church in, in, um, in contrast to the Jewish synagogues is that women were included in the people of God. They were included in the worship. So there was no separation. I mean, just think about it. You know, when I, again, I, I remember we talked about Priscilla and Aquila. It wasn't separate. They, they were together. Everybody was together. There's no separation anymore. Okay? That's extremely important to understand. Marriage was held in honor. Okay? So what did the, the new situation 
of the male-female uh, um, relationship due to, to marriage? Should men now no longer lord over their wives? Well, let's find out. So what I read in, in the book of Ephesians and talking about um, women submitting to their husbands and, and um, well, let, you know what, let me just read this, this first part again. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So submission in, re in relation of the church to Christ is defined this way, to put in order, to make subject to, to be obedient to, yielding to the authority of another person. Um, Paul uses the verb in the book of Ephesians, like I just read, to subdue or to make subject. This doesn't disqualify husbands from having to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to lay down his life for her. Paul's use of the word head refers to a person possessing authority. This is a combination of headship, authority, and union. When Paul talks about God placing all things under the feet of Jesus, he is, he is talking of authority and that all things are subject to him. Paul combined Christ's rule and Christ's love for the church, and the response, therefore, is subjection. This model provides the pattern for a, a wife's relation to her head, which is her husband. Now, well, you know, when women hear that, you're like, uh, uh, no way, I don't, I, I don't like that, that doesn't sound good to me. I'll tell you this, there's one thing I learned along the way. When your life is submitted to the Spirit and submitted to God, you don't see um, your husband being in authority as a bad thing. That that's you know it's important to keep in mind. But let's keep reading. I know it's a lot of like material, but it's ve it's very important. I want to make sure that I cover everything. Christ's self-giving love is to be imitated by the husband who uses all his resources for her good. Yeah, you like that one, right? Ladies, you like that one, right? Using all his resources for her good. Husbands are not meant to tell their wives to be subject to them. So the husband cannot go to the wife and say, hey, you must listen to me. Because guess what? Jesus does not demand anyone to follow him. He does not demand anyone to obey him. It is a choice that you make. Okay? So it is exactly the same thing. A, wife, a husband cannot, cannot demand obedience from his wife. Then the, you're, you're, you've got it wrong. Christ does not demand obedience. He puts before you a choice. God puts before you a choice. You either choose to obey or you don't. What happened when, if so, you know, when, the, when the rich young ruler, when he's like, you know what? I, 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 can't, I can't give this up to follow you. What did Jesus say? Hey, are you nuts? You have to listen to me. You have to obey me. No, nope. he let, let him go and watched him as he walked away. So you, you have to understand. Yeah, Josie said free will. You have to understand how if we're talking about, and it's very clear, Christ's model uh, as the head of the church, he doesn't lord it over people. You have to make a choice. 
So what? So so rather the women therefore are they choose to submit, and what this does is it guards against abuse of power. That's why Paul made that connection. Because once you understand, well, okay, then I, if I have to take the example of Christ as a husband, I cannot force or push my wife to do it, right? You can't do that. It has to be the wife's choice. Because if you, if you allow the husband to just demand things of the wife, then there's going to be an abuse of power. Now, at the time, there were women who had trouble submitting to their husbands because the husbands often made decisions with poor judgment. And the wife was kind of like, man, I got to listen to this guy. And, and he made a bad decision. Um, so Paul's word to the husband revealed an awareness of a man's shortcomings, that he could possibly make a mistake. So you, you have to, you know, there's a husband's responsibility to function under a divine pattern. They need to consider what it means to imitate Christ. Okay. So the women, they weren't asked to submit because their husbands are more intelligent. Hey, Lee, good to see you. Um, you know, because and oftentimes that might not even have been the case. They were asked to submit for the sake of Christ. Jesus taught that authority means service. Paul calls husbands to imitate the Lord by serving the needs of their wives without setting aside their authority but cannot suppress their wives in order to maintain their authority. Now, that reminds me of a question we had, or something we spoke about last week. You know, what if, you know, was, uh, remember we talked about women in ministry and how um, if there's a delegation of authority by a man, then that's okay. So what happens if the husband doesn't want the woman to minister? Well, that's a problem because that's suppressing the wife with her, with her uh, uh, call to, to the Lord and her mission for the Lord, and, and that's a problem. So if the wife feels constrained or demeaned, it means that the relationship is not in line with Jesus's example, right? Because this is all about the model of Christ. And it produces the opposite effect of what's intended by uh, submission in marriage. Deep confidence in the Lord allows freedom to admit a mistake or poor judgment. So if the, the, like I said, the, the women were concerned, you know, what if, you know, my husband makes these decisions and they're not good decisions. So the man's responsibility is to put his confidence in the Lord, his trust in the Lord, be submitted to the spirit so that if there's a mistake, he could admit it and say, you know what, that was the wrong decision. You know, we got to We got to pray and make sure that we're making the right decision. Okay. So husbands must learn that sacrificial leadership fosters the growth of others. If you are, are a sacrificial leader, your wife is, is prospering, thriving under your authority. She's not being suppressed. So if, if, if you're uh, in a biblical marriage, um, you know, and the wife is not growing, her, she's not getting better, she's not growing in the Lord, there's a problem. It means the husband is not doing what he's supposed to do. Um, Sheba, I will answer that question very soon. That's a great question. The question is, um, she's a believer and the husband is not. Does she still have to submit if he doesn't submit to God? I will get to that. And that's a tough, 
um, a tough subject, but there's an explanation for it. <laughs> yes, chill, exactly. Where the wife's like, see, you shoulda, <laughs> shoulda listened. But anyways, you know, a good, a good man and a good godly man um, will be so submitted to Christ that he'll be like, you know what, I, this was not the right move. We gotta, we gotta change gears and be, be willing to do that. You know, you can't be, um, you can't have pride there where you're like, well, I'm the man, everything goes through me, uh, um, you know, blind, blind obedience. No, that, that's not how it is. Um, so the exercise of authority is most effective when the abilities of the wife are developed to their fullest and not oppressed. So you, you want to see your wife succeed. You know, if she has a particular talent in something, if she has a particular dream in something, your job is to make sure that she's not suppressed, but that sh those things are developed to the fullest. That, that's the verse, Ori. I'm going to get to that. So authority must be delegated and the initiative must be given to the wife. So the same way that authority could be delegated in terms of women in ministry, it's the same thing. The husband can say to the wife, okay, we're going to, you know, either we're going to make this decision together or I want, you know, I want to know what, what you think about this. So there is, there's initiative there. Okay. Now, but here's the question. So, okay, wait, look, before I get to that guidance from scripture and the Holy Spirit is crucial. A husband is subject to God in everything he does. He cannot guide his family in a way that contradicts the scripture. So if he's doing something that contradicts the scripture, a wife must follow God first. So that's important. But now here's a big question. What if an agreement between the husband and wife can't be reached. I'm going to read this portion from the, from the book that I'm, I'm reading from. So I know this is a lot of reading, but pay attention. This is the good stuff right here. There are situations not involving contradiction of biblical teaching in which husband and wife, even after discussion, prayer, and consultation with others, remain irreconcilably committed to different courses of action. There need not be many cases, there, there shouldn't be many cases, but in a fallen world, there will be some. In them, the responsibility of the husband to lead and the wife to respect his initiative requires her to yield to his decision. The manner in which such situations are handled is crucial. The husband may not be high-handed and stubborn, knowing that she will finally have to give in. That's not the model of Christ's headship. Neither may the wife be grudging and resentful. That is not the manner of our response to Christ. So, and another thing, so, so basically what you want to see happen here is that there is a, a, a seeking of God to permit them to come into line with each other. So it's got to be constant. You know, listen, and, and again, if, if, if the husband says, God said this to me, and the wife is like, well, he didn't say this to me. Well, then somebody's wrong. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's hard, right? You know, it, it is hard. Um, it could be maybe with a move, uh, maybe with... Um, which house to buy, maybe which, which place to live in, or, or, you know, it, it's, those, those are, cause it's not necessarily, it's not going to be like, 
Well, what does the Bible say about it? Well, you know, God doesn't specifically say this is the house you should take. So this is where prayer and, and seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit is crucial. So the husband says, not because I am inherently wiser or more righteous, but because it's finally my responsibility before God, we take the course that I believe is right. If I am being sinfully stubborn, may God forgive me and give me grace to yield to you. Okay, so it is possible that the husband's just wrong and therefore has to seek forgiveness from the Lord and say, okay, I'm going to go with the, my wife actually had the right idea. Now the wife says, not because I believe you're wiser in this matter or more righteous, but because I am a servant of God who has called me to honor your headship, I will willingly yield to your decision. If I am wrong, may God show me. If you are wrong, may he give you grace to acknowledge it and change. Such decisions must be made. They can be steps of commitment to God, which cement a relationship and assure bo both partners of the other's loving commitment. They can alternatively be times which so show sinful abuse. The sort of commitment outlined above can be used to preserve the dignity and honesty of both partners by setting matters in their proper context. The gravity of such disagreements points to the importance of a decision to marry. This is important. A husband takes on, a, on an accountability to God for his family. So if you want to, everybody wants to get married, especially Christians. They can't wait, right? Everybody wants to be married. But you have to understand with that comes a certain responsibility. So you as the husband, you, have, you're, you are accountable to God. If you mess up, it's, it's between you and God. You have to understand that. So, so it's, it's a weighty responsibility. You know, every husband loves the verse. Oh, wife, my wife's got to submit to me. But, but the reality is you have a much weightier responsibility on your shoulders. Okay. The wife there then places herself in a position where sometimes she must yield to him. Hers and the estimate of this author is the more difficult role emotionally. She must be well satisfied that she trusts his judgment, listen, before entering into marriage. You better be sure that the person you're marrying is a strong man of God. Because then you hear, well, you know, my husband and I don't agree on anything and you know, the decisions, he wants to put the kids in this school and I want to put them in the church's school. And you know, why is that happening? You should have figured that out before you walk down the aisle because everybody's desperate to get married. You better make sure that that man is submitted to God or you're going to have a lot of problems and then you're bound biblically to yield to him and you're not going to like it. So you better make the right decision. No one's forcing you to marry anybody right? <laughs> no one's forcing you to, <laughs> thanks Alessia. <laughs> you know, yeah, my dad brings up a good point. Saying that God told me to do something could be 
could be presumptuous. You have to be, you have to, you're accountable to God. You better be sure before you're saying to your wife, God told me to, you better be sure. And it's not just because it's what you want. And then you're like, well, the wife has to listen to me. Marry a man of God, marry a woman of God, and you won't have to worry. And it's as simple as that. And if you're like, he's got a lot of good qualities. He's not really as dedicated to the Lord as I want him to be, but he's still a Christian. Uh, next. Exactly, Fady. Equally yoked. That's what it's talking about. Because there's a lot of people that marry someone who's a Christian, but spiritually they are not equally yoked. Because one person's here spiritually and the other person's here and it doesn't mix. Now, does that mean that a person can't grow? Of course they could grow. Of course they could grow. Absolutely. And I don't want to, you know, because I'm not trying to say that it's impossible for someone to grow spiritually. But it's a lot easier <laughs> to marry someone that you're on the same page with in everything, especially spiritually. You know, he's a good guy. He comes to church. Great. Doesn't mean anything. Because when push comes to shove, you're going to know, am I even with the right person? You better figure it out before. That's what happens. Oh, he's cute. He's nice. He loves the Lord. Okay. Does he? Because when a big decision comes, who's he turning to? We need money. What's he doing? Is he sowing? Is he tithing? Let me keep reading. If a husband is a godly man, a godly leader, it makes it easier for the... Uh, exactly. that You nailed it. I'm assuming it's Mary who's uh, commenting. <laughs> but um, that's it. Because, you know... Oh, boy. I mean, if, if you're going to be in a situation where... Because, um, you know, Sheba asked about the unbelieving husband. I'm assuming that's because the wife got saved post marriage because if you're marrying an unbeliever forget it it's over and i have no sympathy for you if you willingly marry an unbeliever and then you're not happy with it it's your own fault so so this is when when when, when i'm going to read the scripture pertaining to an unbelieving spouse it's because the wife got saved you know came to christ while she was already married okay both partners must be satisfied that they have developed the ability to handle serious disagreements through communication and prayer before, mar before making a marriage commitment. For the Christian, <laughs> times of irreconcilable differences between marriage partners can lead to a bitter stalemate. They instead must uh, lead then to a deeper love, growth, and assurance of mutual commitment. So it means, you know, you might be, you might not agree. You're not going to necessarily agree on every tiny little thing. You know, I'm going to, I'll give you an example. Back in 2013, I was living, my husband and I were living in Ontario and I, I was pastoring at a small church and I was, you know, happy doing that. And, um, we were approached with the opportunity, um, Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
Can't you, Joe? Because... <laughs> Because, you know, and that'll be, you know, like, yeah, I told you so, I knew it. You know, you have to, the husband, the husband needs to know that his wife trusts his judgment. If he's constantly thinking that she's going to second guess everything or assume that she's smarter than him, it's hard to lead in that circumstance. It's very hard to lead. Um... Well, Lisa, it's like I said, it's because, because like, like, like one of the things I read before, you know, the husband has to be willing to say, you know, that was the wrong decision. Um, and as the wife, you know, should be encouraging your husband. You should be lifting him up. Don't, don't, don't downgrade your husband or, or, or demean him, especially in front of other people. I learned that lesson the hard way. I wasn't happy with my husband with something. And I, I said it in front of other people with him there bad decision you don't do that you could forget about him being being able to lead properly if he feels no respect so again marry the right guy and you won't have to worry doesn't mean you're gonna agree on every tiny little thing all the time so okay so like like i was saying so we got approached with the option to come back here to montreal and i wasn't sure i i didn't know if i wanted to um yeah exactly Ro. you think that you, <laughs> you think that you're gonna get if you're not happy with your husband that by disrespecting him in front of other people he's gonna be like yeah i see it your way <laughs> no. no way mutual respect it's true um you know anyways so i wasn't sure and i let my husband decide because i said look i don't know and he felt it was the right time for us to come back to Montreal. And so we did. Um, exactly, John. The importance of not undermining mining each other, but rather building each other up. Build each other up. You know, you also talk, I, and I always talk about my husband, and I, I say, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of great things about him. Is he perfect? No, he's not perfect. But you're not going to hear me say what's wrong with him. You're going to hear me say what a great man he is, how he takes care of me, how he makes me laugh, how I feel safe with him. You know, I'm not, if, if there's, <laughs> maybe I'll joke around about how he doesn't load the dishwasher properly, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's all in good fun. Um, but you know, there, there's, there's very serious things that you could like be putting down your husband. You don't do that. Um, and so ultimately it proved he made the right decision um, for us to come back here. Um, you nailed it, Mary Ellen, and that's what happens, and it causes a lot of conflict. Marry the wrong guy, you end up having to lead yourself. Yeah, you marry the wrong man, it's not going to go well. Because, I mean, you know, <laughs> Rick, Rick, that's probably a good thing. Um, that's probably a good. See, and that's the thing. A great marriage, I believe, you understand each other so well. Rick knows it's better he stays in the car when his wife is shopping. And the wife's cool with that. And, and you know, it's like, a, don't judge another person's marriage. You have to do what's, what's right. So my husband and I, we might not do everything, um, you know, maybe the way other people will, but it works for us. And we're happier than we've ever been. So don't worry about, you know, well, this couple does this. Maybe we should do this. No, you do what works for you because that's what works for them. Okay, so a wife is not a slave and a husband 
is not a slave master. Paul was concerned about husbands abusing their authority, which is why he stressed the importance of imitating Christ. Paul reminds men that their wives are equally heirs of God's gift of life. The couple is to serve God together. Exactly. When you're comparing like, oh, or you, or you say to your husband, look at what they do. How come they do that? How come we don't do that? Don't, don't go down that road. Not going to work. Agreed, Rick. So I want to read another scripture. This one's found in the book of Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So, there was an important thing that Paul put in there. Um, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Because the easy thing to do is to start getting all, um, you know, you know, men lording over um, their wives and, and abusing them, emotionally abusing them, you know, however you want to put it. And Paul was very clear. You're to love your wife. If you love your wife, you're not going to do that to her. If you love her, you want to take care of her. You want to give yourself to her. You want to do everything to make sure she's happy, you know. And, and in turn, and it's a, it's, a, it's a cycle. Wives, women, don't you want your husbands to be happy? I sure do. Everybody, when we're both happy, life's just way better. I don't want, I don't want either of us to be unhappy. So we, we both... Uh, um, Take the time to say, okay, what's going to make this marriage better for the both of us? How am I going to be the best spouse that I could possibly be? Um, I'm going to read another scripture. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives in the same way. Now listen to this. This is important. This is speaking about um, unbelievers, okay? In the same way. Be submissive, be submissive, eh, can't speak. Be submissive to your husbands. So my husband came on right at the right time. <laughs> so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of fine uh, clothes and gold jewelry instead <laughs> exactly Fady. you have to be very selfless you, you you know you put your partner first and and if you're if you're constantly worried about their well-being it changes things it's true <laughs> mary ellen is true he comes on just at the right moment um instead it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submiss submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands in the same way, be considerate, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner 
and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There is a lot there. Let's get to it. Guys, it's probably going to last longer than an hour. I hope you're willing to stick around. The physical weakness of a wife compared to her husband or pointing to her weaker position with respect to authority. So in other words, it's not weak as in, you know, weak-minded or weak like you can't handle things or like, you know, you have to walk on eggshells with your wife because she can't, you know, it's, it's, there's two possibilities here. Speaking of um, physical weakness, which I have no problem admitting that I am not strong and I am not stronger than my husband physically. That's why when you need to open a jar, you have a husband around, <laughs> you know, need to lift a heavy object, you have your husband around um, for just those purposes. <laughs> Because he, more than likely, he's going to be physically stronger. Now, um, the reason why there's a second possibility, because it's possible. <laughs> yeah. What would we do without men to open the jars? I'll tell you. It is possible. Listen to this. Let's say you're older and the man physically is not as strong. And so sometimes the woman might actually be stronger in that point. <laughs> right? So what about that? Okay. Or... Um, for example, uh, let's say your husband gets into, okay, wait, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say your husband's going to get into a car accident. He's not going to, but I'm just saying, um, in terms of marriages worldwide, that now he's in a wheelchair, he's not able to lift things. Okay. So while it does probably point to physical weakness, it might not always be the case. Don't worry. No one's getting into a car accident. No one. Um, it could also point to a weaker position with respect to authority, okay? So, in other words, there there is a level of authority and the women are the lower level of authority because the man is the head. So that's more likely what it was pointing to. So men cannot abuse their position of authority because before God, men and women, husband and wife are equal partners. So if you're, um, yeah, there is, it, it, Sheba, it could be possibly pointing to that as well. But what it definitely is not is that, like I said, that, she, that she's weaker spiritually, that she doesn't like hear God as well, or she's weaker intellectually or whatever. Okay, that's important. Now, when Sarah called Abraham her master, okay, it doesn't mean that you have to go to your husband and say, um, yes, sir. No, sir. Here's your sandwich, sir. No, that's not what it's saying. Um, it signals respect. So when Sarah is calling Abraham her master, it's a signal of respect. It's not, um, and by the way, you know, Sarah, Sarah was great at submitting. When Abraham, when, when, when Abraham was obeying God, I don't see an instance of Sarah saying, you know what, Abraham, I disagree. I don't think we should go to that land. No, she let him lead. And so, yeah, I bet, I bet all the husbands are going to be like, honey, you're going to have to call me master from now on. Okay. Alessia has been calling Nineb sir for five years. You can, if you want to call him sir, go for it. I'm not, you know, but I'm not, it, it's not like, um, you know, like you, you bow your head or something or you, you curtsy when he walks into the room. It's signaling respect. Now, here's the question. Actually, before I go on to that. 
I want to read one more scripture. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12. Uh, where am I? Wait, is it verse 12? Ah, here. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the believing hus wife has been sanctified, sorry, the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if an unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that God has assigned him and to which God has called him. This is a rule I lay down in all the churches. So this is for all of, of the churches. So in other words, if, if you're... And I know, I know people who have been in this situation. The wife is a believer. The husband is not. Um, he left. She's no longer bound to him. She would not be committing adultery if she remarried. Okay? But if the wife is a believer and the husband is not, and he wants to stay with her, then, then she can't say, well, we got divorced because he wasn't a believer. If he's saying, I want to stay with you, I want to be with you, I want to live with you, I want to stay married to you, um, then she needs to stay with him. And in terms of submission, um, you know, it, it's, it's tough because he's not submitted to the Lord. So as I mentioned before, in terms of things that go against the word of God, she has to obey God first. This is a tough, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because so, so for example, um, let's say you're married to some, let's say you got married when you weren't saved and then you got saved, but your husband did not. And he wants to move far away. That's far away from church. Okay. So you know that being involved in church and going to church is extremely important. He doesn't care because he doesn't go. This is a tough one. I am not going to attempt. <laughs> so if you're hoping that I was about to answer that question, um, no, I'm not going to touch it. Um, all I will say is according to scripture, um, you know, you, the best thing that you could do as a wife, um, like, like Josie just said, she's blessed because her husband supports her faith. Uh, Josie's always in church. And that's a, that's a sign of a good man. Okay, that's a sign of a good man. Because the man could very easily say, I don't want you going to church. But she's always there. Um, yeah, Auntie Julia said she has to respect him in hopes. Sorry, Jill said um, she has to respect him of hopes of her husband being saved. Exactly. That's what the Bible says. That by the way that you live, not being a, um, a drag on your husband or, or nagging him to go to church. Why don't you go to church? Why don't you come to church with me? Uh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. You're not going to win him over. 
It's never going to happen. Rather, if you're being, you know, and it, it's not, listen, this is a tough situation. I do not, it's very hard to speak to this. And this is like, I don't want to get too far into it because I want to finish uh, this last part. Um, it's tough. It's not easy. Um, it's true stuff. You shouldn't nag at all. Um, because it, you think nagging works? It certainly does not. <laughs> it certainly does not. Um, but husbands, you know, in that sense, um, be considerate, you know, when the Bible says be considerate of your wives, listen, and I, I know this is like a funny example and we're going to laugh, but if your wife has a particular way of cleaning or something, you don't purposely like throw your underwear on the floor because you don't care and then get mad when she nags you. Like, let's, let's be a little bit, let's be considerate of each other, right? You know full well that your wife hates when you put the underwear on the floor. Stop doing it. And then she won't nag you. So, you know, that's, but anyways, this is not relationship advice, which, I, which I'd be happy to give if you want. So anyways, um, the, it, again, it's a tough subject. I'm not going to, you know, um, people much smarter than me, I'm sure, can weigh in a lot better. And all the women say, amen. That's right, Steph, the hamper does exist for a reason. But in terms of the unbelieving spouse, what I'll tell you, biblically speaking, uh, <laughs> it might be a word of knowledge for somebody. Uh, biblically speaking, if the unbeliever chooses to leave, you're not bound to them. So, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, committing adultery if you marry somebody else. And the goal is to stay together. Uh, a hamper is where you put dirty clothes. Dirty clothes hamper. Um, is, do they not call it that anymore? I don't know. I call it hamper or clothes basket, I guess. Um, and so as a wife, if you come to the Lord and you want to, <laughs> oh, you're kidding. And you want to lead your husband to the Lord. Don't be a nag on him. Don't be a drag on him. Continue to respect him because he's still your husband. But understand that you're also accountable to the Lord. So if he's telling you to do something that is against scripture, you do not go against scripture. You understand? Um, now this is a, anyways, I'm not, I had an example, but it's a bit crude, so I'm not going to use it. But if it's something that's against scripture, you're not bound to obey that. Now, last thing before we go is biblical submission still for us today, because that's always the question. Is it just for that culture? Is it for now? Now, Paul did mention this is to all the churches. And if you're, if you're looking at, um, <laughs> no, if you're looking at, um, understanding the, the, the original language and everything, Paul didn't mean just the churches you wrote to, but all churches. So, um, so what you would have to ask yourself then is the command given so this is one way to know it. If, is it in accord with the standard cultural norms of the day? If it's not in accord with the standards of, of the day, it indicates a timeless truth and not limited to first century society. And I'll explain what I mean. Paul's commands to the men were sacrificial, which was in stark contrast to the to to how it was which was men's rights were most important their privileges were the priority their needs were the priority you have to understand this so paul flipped that on his head by saying that you have to be sacrificial for your wife that you have to give yourself up for your wife 
Um, good point, Hempel. Um, appreciation. Men, appreciation goes a long way. Appreciation goes a long way. Well, Steph, if, if you're in a, a godly marriage, you will have a lot of... Um, you, your, your needs will be a priority for your wife. If you're with a godly wife, she'll understand um, how you operate, what makes you tick. She's not going to do things to purposely make you mad. You know, that's not, those are things, you know, we're godly people. We're, we're, we're people of the Lord. You don't behave that way. Now, so what I'm saying is a timeless truth, one surefire way to know that you're looking at a timeless truth is because it's the, it's, it's basically wiping away the cultural norm and saying, there's a new method now. We're not going with the same old method of, of culture. It's new now. Okay. So a given behavior in one culture might have a different meaning in another culture. So it's necessary to change the behavioral expression of a spiritual command in order to translate the principle across all cultures and all time. What that means is women, we no longer covering your head was a way to show submission, but now it's expressed through actions of respect and humility. The principle, the principle has its basis in God's unchanging nature. Okay. So the principle of submission is in God's unchanging nature. That doesn't change. But in terms of, of, of physically showing it by covering your head, it's not cultural for us today. So if you, if, if you were to walk around covering your head, every person on the street would be like, oh, they're submitted. No, they would, they'd be like, why is your head covered? It's not, you know, so, so now behaviors and culture matter. Okay. So therefore what's God's unchanging nature, his grace, his love, his created order, his moral laws, those things are not changed throughout time. So the principle of submission remains unchanged, but the outward expression of it, i.e. head covering, is culturally bound. Yeah, the, ex the expression changes, but not the principle. Now, um, because, you know, and, and some cultures still have the head coverings, right? Um, but is it, now listen, is it a way... Is it a respect thing or is it a way that men lord over their wives? That is important to keep in mind. I just want to make sure that's clear. Is she forced to do it? Where there's force, that's not Christ. Christ does not force himself on anybody. He doesn't push himself on anybody. So I want you to keep that because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of cultures where they have head coverings. Why are they there? Yeah, exactly. Is it mandatory by law or they get flogged? That's a problem. That's a problem. Okay. So I just want to make that clear as I end this, this, this discussion. Um, if it's by force, if it's mandatory or there's punishment, that's not Christ. So, cause I know, I know what you're thinking. You think, well, yeah, there's cultures today that cover their heads. Why do they cover their heads? So just something to keep in mind. And are they covering it out of ritual? Are they covering it out of religion? So some things to keep in mind. So the principle of submission, ladies, the answer to a very long broadcast, 
It is still for today. Um, great question, Alessia. And I'm, you know, Alessia, you would remember when we went to Moldova, um, we went, Jill, that's, okay, wait, first let, let me answer this, this question. We went, we went to Moldova, we went into the church and I see, I didn't want to cover my head. I'm going to tell you why. Thanks, Carol. You're the best. Thanks, Loretta. I'm going to tell you why, because I, I was grossed out because they had like the head shawls that, um, <laughs> that, that everybody wore. And I'm like, I'm not putting that thing on my head. Um, but all, all the other girls did, I guess in retrospect, I probably should have done it only because, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect, um, <laughs> thanks, Rick. Not trying to disrespect other cultures. Um, yeah, Steph, thank you for, for pointing that out. It's not even, you know, you have to also be careful. What's the reason they're covering their head in the other cultures? I'm not trying to disrespect, but at the same time, um, it, it's, it's, what's the reason? What's the reason why they're doing it? Because if they're doing it for a reason that's not scriptural, I'm not going to do that. Um, if you do it out of respect, you could do that. Um, and I'm going to read somebody. So let me read a little bit about, about uh, head coverings. So women covering their heads was Jewish law, also a custom in other nations. Prostitutes were the only ones without a head covering. So it was basically a distinction. So if you had your head uncovered... It was pretty much an indication that you were a prostitute. So the veil was also a sign of submission to her husband. So it was considered a disgrace to the husband for their head to be uncovered. It was considered a violation of submission and headship. Okay. Um, but one thing, one thing that needs to be understood then about all this is that um, it, it's an outward expression it's it's you know you could because think about this you could have your head covered in church be living in sin be disrespectful to your husband be living contrary to the word of god oh but your head covers so you're good to go you have to understand jesus um you know <laughs> jesus made it very clear it's not matters of of what's outward it's matters of what's inward okay and obviously, Paul talked, like I said, he talked a lot about that. There were distinctions to be made. And so how, okay, so how would you translate it to our culture? Well, distinctions. So ladies, I'm sorry, but what you wear matters. Because there are distinctions. If you dress like a, a, a hooker, you're, you're, you're living wrong. Dress properly. Stop exposing everything. Jeez, like I don't understand. Oh, it's in style. I don't care what's in style. Because that's the problem. That's always the answer. Well, this is in style. I have to wear short shorts, uh, you know, because those are the only things I can find in the store. <laughs> Look. Thanks, Rosa. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I'm not going to get into this at the tail end of the broadcast. But again, distinction. Distinction. Are you, are you presenting yourself? And again, again. I recognize, like I said, that you could dress perfectly and be living a life of sin. That's not an end in of itself, okay? That's not an end of, in of itself. But, but at the same time, um, 
you know, if you're <laughs> if you're dressed with a belly top and 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 short booty shorts and 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 you know, it's probably not hard to tell what life you're probably living in. I know you might think that's that's rude. What you know? Anyways, that's a, a long-winded way of, of hopefully answering those questions. Um, but again, the whole the whole thing with head coverings, I, I would look at you know why why are they doing it? Because like Steph pointed out, in some religions, it's not even based on submission. It's based on something else. It's based on something completely different. So they're not even doing it for the right reason. Um, exactly, Shiva. You could look good without looking scandalous. Um, it's true. Because again, why, you know, the Bible talks about women dressing in modesty. Doesn't mean you have to wear a veil. But, you know, be careful of how you look. Be careful of, of, of because again, girls, let me ask you something. You know full well you like when the guys look at you. If you didn't like when that they look at you, you wouldn't be wearing that shirt. And you know it. If you, if you got them, flaunt them. Yeah, that's what, that's what the world says. But we don't live like the world. We're children of God. We live in a different way. And if that means that you have to, you know, you're, maybe your clothes aren't perfectly in style. Oh no, whatever will we do? <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, what, whatever will we do? I am in mama mode because, you know, we gotta, yeah, anyways. It's just, it's, it, it, <laughs> If, if, if this offends somebody, then I would look at why it offends you. Lisa, you, you nailed it. Every single one of my shorts is pants that I cut. Because I cut them, I could decide how long they are. Because when you bend over and your butt's hanging out, guess what's going to happen? Guys are going to look at you. And you want them to look at you. Because you like the attention and, and, and you want a, a validation for how you look. I agree, Sheba. Liz's puffy shirt yesterday was fabulous. Yeah. And these, these see-through yoga pants. If you want to wear yoga pants because they're comfortable, wear a sweater that covers your butt, please. Because they're see-through. And when you bend over, yes, we could see your underwear. Or lack thereof. Yeah, you know, I don't care what's in style. Listen. I have a lot of clothes, probably not a lot that's fully in style, but whatever. John says construction workers have the opposite problem. <laughs> uh, you know, it's true. I don't think when you see a woman dressed classy, I mean, I think Steph mentioned it or somebody mentioned it before, you know, it, it, it it's different. You know, I, I, <laughs> nobody wants to see your, your goodies. That's for your husband and leave it to his eyes only. And we don't have to use our imagination. Um, please don't ask me about bikinis and the beach. I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> oh, let's pray. Cause I am not going to answer that question. You know, I actually had a, um, yeah, you know, men as well. You know, men, men, um, you need to dress properly too. Be, dress res res respectfully, please. Um, you know, I had a youth pastor that he refused 
to have pool parties for the youth because, you know, anyways, um, but that's, a, <laughs> that's right. We are Christ's ambassadors in everything and how we present ourselves because, you know, oh, um, it doesn't matter. You know, God looks at the heart. Yeah. Okay. But people look at the outside and people are the ones you're trying to reach. You're not witnessing to God. You're witnessing to people. You're not preaching to God. You're preaching to unsaved people. Oh, I like that, Alessia. If you can't preach in it, don't wear it. I love that. So I guess, I guess the bikinis are out. <laughs> oh, man. Is that right, Steph? Steph, you know all these like interesting things. I love that about you. Because these things, I don't know anything about it. Um, wow, I went way over time. Um, I apologize, but pretty much, I think most of you stuck around, which I really appreciate. Because uh, this, this is a big topic. Um, <laughs> God looks at the heart, but no one else should be seeing it. I like that. I like that. Auntie Joe coming in clutch. Um, yeah, that's a good point, Ju. I have heard that. Beachwear is hard because everyone's wearing the same thing and no one's standing out. Um, yeah, I, I, I have heard that. Oh, it's, oh man, it's tough. I, um, <laughs> Alessia, it's okay. You have a baby. We forgive you for wearing a tracksuit. Um, but, um, in turn, yeah, you know, if you're, yeah, boy, this is, what a topic. What a, that's a great topic. I love it. Um, I try, if I go, which I haven't been to the beach in a while, but um, thanks, Rick. Rick, you're the best. What's the game? I have a great game. Um, yeah, because you know what? There's, there's different kinds of bathing suits. There are some that reveal pretty much everything. And then there are others that don't really reveal all that much. And you certainly won't stand out. So if the guys are staring, they probably won't be staring at you. I tend to be pretty covered up. I'm not, I don't, I used to wear bikinis. I don't anymore. Um, despite the fact that, that, um, I'm, I'm quite thin and you know, if you don't feel comfortable at peace, don't wear it. That's a good point. Um, that's a good point. Steph. Oh man, that is a good point. Let's pray. Cause I got a great game for you. Um, but you know, there's a lot of people watching. There was like, we, we had a good number tonight. Um, and I don't know where all, all at. I, I mean, yeah, that's true. Lisa. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> So Uncle Joe cleaned up and, and did the dishes. That That is, men, you want to score some points with your wife, clean up and do the dishes. They'll appreciate it. That's true, Lisa, because you could, you could be, I get what you're saying. You could be at peace um, with wearing something skimpy. But again, if you're, if you're submitted to the Lord, you're not going to even feel right about it. You're going to be like, this. I don't feel comfortable leaving the house in this, um, you know. But... Um, but yeah, anyways, let's pray because I, I, I'm not, there's no guarantee that every single person watching is saved and you might have tuned in because the topic looked interesting to you. Um, and I want to give you a chance to be saved because all of this is predicated upon you being in covenant with God. Um, 
And you want to make the right, if you're not married and you want to make the right decision and you're married, get saved, get saved and you'll know who to choose. So if, if you, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ or you once did, and you've since fallen away, I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to repeat this prayer out loud because the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So pray this prayer out loud out of your mouth. Say, Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that you rose him from the dead for my sin. And now I repent of all my sin and wrongdoing and ask for your forgiveness. And I make a decision today, believing in my heart that I will follow Jesus all the days of my life. Thank you, Father, that I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Send a message uh, so that we know you, you got saved. Um, oh, I, Romel just signed on. Whether he stayed or not, happy birthday, Romel. It's your birthday today. <laughs>